I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. The Diving Deep EDU podcast aims at thought-provoking conversations that help listeners dive deeper into educational practices with a focus on teacher retention, recruitment, and burnout. Subscribe to the Diving Deep EDU podcast newsletter to get more information about this podcast and these topics. A link is in the show notes. Our guest today is Tuan Nguyen. Tuan is an associate professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at Kansas State University. He applies rigorous quantitative methods to examine, one, the teacher labor markets, particularly looking at the factors that drive teacher attrition and retention, and two, the effects and implications of teacher policies and education policies intended for social equity and school improvement. Thanks, uh, Matt, for having me on your podcast. Um, so I, the work that I do really revolves around teachers one way or another. Uh, part of the reasons for that is that I was a math teacher uh, in um, middle school and high school for seven years before I came back to uh, graduate school. So, um, you know, teachers is what I think about uh, first mm-hmm. and foremost. So most of my work revolves around uh, the teacher labor market. Yeah. So thinking about, um, you know, the teacher supply, mm-hmm. teacher attrition, retention, teacher stress and burnout, and um, thinking about the policies that affect teachers. So uh, a lot of my work currently um, reside in examining the, the the production of teachers over time, whether or not we have enough STEM teachers, um, special education teachers, and how uh, you know teacher attrition retention can be driving some of the shortages um, that we're seeing across the country. Yeah, well, thanks for doing that work, and also it's it's unique to have that experience that you have. Uh, you know, teaching in K-12 classrooms, middle school, high school, and then be able to bring that into your research. I'm sure that's that's very um, important and instrumental. Now, the way that we got connected was through one article that you've written, and you've written a ton, and the title is, Is There a National Teacher Shortage? This article appealed to me because it brought a thoughtful approach to the many hot takes I've been hearing, you know, on the news or different superintendents or, you know, anyone with a mic in front of them wants to proclaim that we are under this sort of situation. And your article uh, takes a more nuanced approach, takes a more thoughtful approach. And I really appreciated that. And so that's why I reached out to you. And so thanks for being willing to come on this podcast and have a, a more nuanced conversation, I hope. So let's start off our conversation as we get rolling with the question of your article. And we'll get into the details, so don't feel like you have to answer everything in mm-hmm. this response. You know, we'll be going back and forth. Is there a national teacher shortage? You know, start us off with the answer uh, to that question. That, I think, is a hard question to answer. And we do try to get at it in, in the paper yeah. uh, as best we can. Uh, but in some ways, um, when we think about, is there a national teacher shortage in the United States? I think we have to realize that 
um, we don't have a national teacher labor market, right? We have 50 states. They all have their own challenges and, and strengths. Uh, so in a way, we, we you know, a teacher in, um, say, Florida can't just easily go and teach in, say, California or New York, mm-hmm. right? So what we have is really 50, at least 50 uh, different teacher labor markets. And that's nothing to say of the labor markets within each state yeah. or the type of teacher that you are. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, you know, we know that we need special ed teachers all the time and we have almost always never meet, uh, you know, the, the required number of, uh, of um, special education teachers mm-hmm. to, you know, serve the students. Right. We need more STEM teachers. Yeah. So it is not the case that we see a, a vacancy problem for all type of teachers equally across the United States. Yeah. And let's get into something that you brought up in the article. You know, there's also not clear data across the country. So for someone or, you know, you, what you were trying to to get to the heart of what is going on, explain to me, explain to our listeners what the issue is with our data about teacher shortage across the country, national, right? And why that makes it so difficult to make a proclamation like there's a national teacher shortage. Um, so first, I, I want to be very clear that when we say teacher shortage, right, that could be uh, a thought of in two different ways. Yeah. One is the vacancy issue. Mm-hmm. So these are you know positions that were posted by the, the districts or the schools and that were left unfilled. Yeah. And then there is also the underqualification aspect, meaning these are teachers who don't have full standard certification mm-hmm. or the teaching out of subject. For so for instance a math teacher teaching English. Yep. Okay. So we have those two issues here. So when I, when we first began this project, we, we've heard a lot in the news about, you know, teacher shortages, teacher vacancy yeah. uh, in so many different states. So we thought there must be, you know, a, a database out there <laughs> that has collected this information. It's like the federal government surely yeah. must be collecting this information. <laughs> and lo and behold, we find that that, that doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> Uh, and that was kind of shocking to us. Yeah, so we too. thought, okay, you know what? Why don't we do the best that we can and look through for all, you know, 50 slate, including DC, to see what do we actually see in mm. terms of um, teacher vacant positions and teacher underqualification. Um, and what we found is that this varies so much from states to state uh, in terms of what's being reported. Yeah. So some states are very good about report making, you know, their an annual report saying that they, this is the number of vacant positions they have this year. This is the number of underqualified positions they have this year. Like Florida, for instance, they produce, produce that report every single year. In other states, uh, we cannot find any information whatsoever. Um, what was like two states in particular, uh, California and New York, we cannot find any information in terms of vacancy for those oh, two wow. states. And they are two of the, you know, yeah. the most populous states in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, you know, that's that's part of the problem is that um, some states produce these reports, some states don't. Another part, another problem is that they don't all use the same definition, mm-hmm. right? So some states say shortage includes only vacancy. So these are positions that they cannot fill. But some some states, like my, in my own state, Kansas, they, they consider shortage to be positions that are unfilled, so vacant positions, as well as underqualified teachers. Okay. So they combine those together sometimes, right? right? 
So that makes it difficult to say like, oh, we have a thousand teacher shortage in one state mm-hmm. plus or, you know, compared to a thousand teacher, you know, shortage in another. Yeah. But they come, they use different data. Yep. It's also the issue of timing. Some mm. some states report, you know, in the um, in the early fall. So, you know, this is like in October, November that they're saying we are missing, you know, 1200, uh, you know, we have 1200 vacant positions in others they produce that in the spring so yep. in march and april right and you can imagine this information in the spring is very different than the information that we mm-hmm. have in the fall so we don't have a lot of uh, we have a lot of issues trying to make things comparable across 50 states yeah that's interesting the timing even that that what some people would perceive as a small issue could actually have a large impact and then you have the different definitions of a teacher shortage. And then you have some states who just don't provide anything, you know? So mm-hmm. you got in there and and got that data and brought it up and brought it to light. Um, and yeah, so I, I think you did a great job with that. Now, what's your definition of a teacher shortage? So this would be a twofold question. What's your definition, your working definition of a teacher shortage? And do you prefer different language in order to talk about the teacher labor market than teacher shortage? Would you prefer to use other language or are you okay with teacher shortage as long as it is articulated with people using a similar definition? Matt, I think that's, that's, those are two great questions. And so I'm, I'm going to chicken out here and I'll (laughs) say it depends on the audience that I am Hmm. um, discussing this with. Right. So with like other researchers and policymakers, I, I, the language that I would prefer would be teacher staffing challenges. Yeah. And, and here's why. Um, it's because uh, we know from lots of research that we have difficulty staffing teachers in certain schools, in certain districts, and in certain uh, subjects. Yeah. Okay. It is not the case that we have difficulty uh, of, um, you know, staffing teachers in in all schools or all districts or all subjects right some states actually overproduce certain types of teachers mm-hmm. right but underproduce in others yeah so it is when we say teacher shortage it, i think that blurs the line of what we mean right mm-hmm. but if i'm talking to uh you know the the public right yeah. so you know the general public the the word shortage is easier for them to understand and to relate because we have shortages in other areas right mm-hmm. shortages of food uh, you know, yeah. we have a, a you know a, a busing shortage. Yeah. It's easier to understand. So it really depends, I think, on your, the audience that you're talking to. And in terms of like, what would I prefer uh, to the language that I would use in in my own work? I think I would be more specific and say teacher vacancy and underqualification yeah. because they are two different issues. Mm-hmm. They're related, sure, but they, they you know the way you would try to address them would be different. So I think providing that nuance helps to, to, you know, for us to think about the specific type of policies yeah. and solutions that we can have to address each of those two problems. Thank you. And you mentioned that, you know, as you were responding, bringing up another point, but I wanted to make sure to highlight that before we moved on your definition of a teacher shortage. And I also appreciate your other, uh, you know, term that could be used because in a previous conversation on a previous episode, uh, you know, one of my guests used the term Instead of teacher shortage, they like to use the term teacher tightening. The teacher labor market is tightening a bit. So I like that because it just with with these different terms, it can help bring a different perspective and help see the same issue from a different angle. And so I really appreciate, uh, you know, your 
alternate term depending on the audience that you were talking to. Now, there's many lenses to view this teacher challenges or the teacher tightening or the teacher shortage. We have the extremes, right? And and I appreciate your article because you you know, you delve into the nuance, but you have the extreme on one side, you know, we're not going to be able to staff our schools in the next 10 years. You know, kids are going to be, you know, running rampant within the building. We have to bring in the National Guard and like all of these things. So that's on one side. And then you have the other side where I've heard articulated very well with much data that says, well, we actually have more teachers today than we did 10 years ago because we've created more teacher positions. So we didn't have some of the instructional positions we've had or the extra guidance counselors or many of these other positions within the buildings. And we have those today that we didn't have 10 years ago. So that's, you know, eating up some of the the teacher vacancies. That's creating some of the extra teacher vacancies that we have in our building. It's not causing all the problem, but that's some of it. Mm -hmm. How do you, as a researcher, thinking about these issues day in and day out. How do you navigate between these multiple lenses in order to view the same issue? How do you deal with that? So I think that's actually one of the most difficult parts of thinking about this issue of, you know, teacher shortage, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because over the last 10, 15 years, we have created more uh, teacher positions. Uh, We have tried to lower, you know, the the teacher-student ratio, right? So a lot of this does depend on the number of teachers that we are we're expecting that that we want, right? To to fill our classrooms and 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 to you know provide more one-on-one for our students. Um, so I think we have to be to to recognize that we shouldn't look at these issues through just one particular lens. We shouldn't mm-hmm. just use one metric, mm. any one metric to think about whether or not we have a, a, a staffing problem. Yeah. Right. We have to be aware of uh, of the student teacher ratio that we have in that particular state or that they, they're wanting to. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to be aware that there could be a decline in student enrollment. We, we have to be aware that, you know, um, there could be an increase in teacher demand due to uh you know, ESSER funds, yep. right? And that, yep. that could be then a subsequent drop uh, and, and, you know, um, of teachers because we, we're running out, we've we run out of the, the ESSER funds. Hmm. Um, so I think what we have to do is to think about this at a, a in a way, in a hyper local context, thinking about what does it mean for my state? Yeah. What does it mean for That's my good. district? Yeah. In terms of the student teacher ratio we have, in terms of the current enrollment of, of student enrollment and the number of teachers that we have and how are we trying to fill those positions mm. right and then you know not to and, and then you know to get into more of it then we have to think about what kind of teachers yep. do we need That's right good. so we still once again getting back to the point of the type of teacher mm-hmm. the, the subject area also matter that you know we need generally more stem teachers more special education teachers yeah right so we have to take all these lenses and, and think about how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I really like a lot of the work that, say, Dan Goldhaber has done because he's providing this nuanced view of, mm-hmm. you know, that we shouldn't use one particular lens. There, yeah. there is, an, an, you know, an imbalanced distribution of teachers across uh, geography and across subject. Yeah. At the same time, you know, other people like Matt Kraft and Mimi uh, uh, um, Leon Arnold mm-hmm. has, has 
provided that has shown that, you know, there is a decline in teacher respect and prestige yeah. over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Okay. Right. And we have evidence that there's decline in teacher enrollment and production. Um, so all of these things are interacting mm-hmm. with each other <laughs> in very complex ways. So I think like that's that's what you have to think about. And you can't use one single lens or single metric to to make your case, to make decisions. Yeah, I love it. And that also brings to light something you mentioned earlier, that all of the states are unique. So if we're dealing with unique states and how they report their data systems and the teachers that they have, then we have to go even more local than that, the local context, and then deal with the local teacher shortage issues. So I I really appreciate that instead of just getting wrapped up in this narrative that may not impact a certain local entity or community or even a state. Another thing you pointed out in the article, which maybe you can... uh, you know, clarify because I don't have the fact right in front of me. You said something like this. There was one state, and hopefully you can remember this. I know you write a lot of different articles. There's one state that reported their their teacher shortage based on 16 students per teacher, right? Let's say they did that about 10 years ago. And then they reported, they, <laughs> they suddenly changed the way they were going to report their teacher shortage. So instead of a 16 to 1, they change their ratio to like a 15 to one. So mm-hmm. obviously they're going to have a shortage because they change the ratio, you know, all of a sudden. So they're going to show more teachers. If you brought that ratio back to 16 to one, yes, they still have vacancies. Yes, there are issues. Yes, we have to do it. But the reason I'm highlighting that, and maybe you could bring more light to it, is that it's a nuanced conversation. There's many of these data points are changing and and how are they changing? What's at the heart of it? And what's within the local context and what specific teachers, you know, are being impacted? What subject areas? So thanks for continuing to reiterate that. Do you remember that data point? Are you able to bring any more insight into that? Yeah. So I um I don't remember exactly which which state it was, but that that's been you know a couple of different organizations okay. have, have done something like that right to to look at the uh, uh, student teacher ratio and say well if you know if it were 15 to 1 instead of 16 to 1 yeah. then we would have this differential mm-hmm. uh, increase in, in teacher vacancy and yeah. that's really an issue that that that's very specific to the context of mm-hmm. your state and of your district right yeah. some districts has no problem whatsoever Having the, the number of teachers so that they can have a fifteen to one or even fourteen to one, yep. you know, teach, student teacher ratio, right? Yep. In other states, uh, and, and in some classroom, they have teachers, te- you know, a single teacher teaching 25, 30, 35 students, yeah. right? So really, we have to think about how do we address teacher staffing challenges within your particular context. Mm-hmm kind of teachers you need, mm-hmm. how many teachers you need relative to the number of students you mm-hmm. have. Is your student enrollment incre- increasing or declining? Like in California, you know, recent work has shown that there's, you know, like half a million students missing, right? What does that mean for the wow. number of teachers that they need? So we have to think about the specific context. Yep. And great. it's not 
uniform across the United States. In your article, you poured over diverse data sets to try as best as you could to get a better picture of the teacher vacancy situation across the entire country. One thing you mentioned is that you also poured over when there wasn't really clear data sets you know, from the government, you would pour over news articles and you would you know, reach out to different agencies and get information as you could get it. As you think about the many stories that you heard, as you think about the many data sets that you looked over and analyzed, was there one or two data sets or stories that really impacted your thinking and what would they be? A particular state that produces this report every year that 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 we can use to track vacancy and under qualification that that's very clear is Florida. Okay. Now, there are lots and lots of other things going on in Florida, yep. right? Uh, that you can say like, hey, that's not good for education. But they do one thing well, at least one thing well, <laughs> all right? Um, is that they produce this vacancy and underqualification report every single year. And nice. you can see the number of vacant positions by subject, okay. you know, and the number of underqualified positions by subject. So it's clear that they, they need, you know, like say 123 uh, uh, math teachers, right? And they have X, Y, and Z. So that makes it really helpful for, mm. for you know, policymakers to think about, hey, if we are trying to address the, the you know, teacher vacancy problem, how many teachers will we need of what type in what particular area? The unfortunate thing is that, you know, a lot of the policies that they have taken over the last couple of years have really gone against that, right? Um, yeah. So, this is sort of the, the, the interesting problem here is that, you know, Florida produces a, an excellent report that let us know what kind of problems they have. But then the policy that they take, they all tend to, uh, in my opinion, at least worsen the issue and not alleviate the problems that they're having. Hmm. Um, that's in part why we see the number of vacant positions in Florida has grown to um, from f- almost 4000, which is the highest in the country last year to, I think, around 5,000 this year, which is still the highest in the country. Why do you think that is? The laws and regulations around, you know, what teachers can or cannot say in the classroom is one of the main reasons. You know, teachers don't want to become teachers uh, if they don't have the autonomy to do, you know, to teach what they love in the classroom, Hmm. right? They want to be able to speak about racism and sexism mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. If they are being told exactly what they can say or what not to say, and what books can or cannot be read, I don't see how that's going to be helpful for to in, in invite people into the profession in Florida. As you've researched this topic and you've thought about, okay, you've, you're getting to the heart of what is going on, right? And, and you're looking at that and telling that story. But have you seen any successful approach to dealing with teacher vacancies? And I understand, right? I'm not trying to push a universal approach. You know, have you seen a successful approach within a local context dealing maybe with a, a local issue? Have you seen anything that's worked? This is something that that um, many of us, uh, not just me, are working on at this moment, mm. thinking about what are the different policy solutions that we can try? Yeah. Um, and I think we've heard some, we, we have some anecdotal evidence, but I don't, not, I'm not sure if we have really solid, robust evidence that we can say, hey, you know what, this has been tried in multiple contexts yeah. and it's working. 
right? So that's this is one of the things that I have a, a project right now looking at um, thinking about what are the different solutions that people have tried, hmm. right? And can we track to see if things are changing in those particular contexts? Hmm. Because I don't think we have enough evidence at this point to say that this seems to work and this doesn't seem to work. Is there any potential solution that gives you hope? So I think um, in terms of addressing the current teacher vacancy issue, uh, some of the policy solutions that aims to provide real, uh, or targeted you know, um, incentives for STEM teachers and special mm-hmm. education teachers, I'm hoping that those will uh, pan out. Yeah, you know things like and you know if you uh, um, if a STEM teacher comes and teaches you in school district, they get a, a, a you know a sign-on bonus, right? Or yeah. and they get a retention bonus if they stay in the district for you know three years or five years. Right? Mm-hmm. And these are substantial increase, like you know two, three, five thousand dollars, not you know you know five hundred dollars, right? I'm hoping that those uh, would have some effect on uh, uh, addressing those particular you know uh, vacant positions. In, in the long run, I think what we really need to think about is how do we change the narrative of what it means to be a teacher in this country? Mm. I think that has to yeah. uh, it has to be about the prestige, the respect, as mm. well as the salary that teachers should have, you know, as, as in this profession, because it, t- being a teacher is one of the hardest jobs that you can have. And it's also one of the most important jobs that you can have. Um, And I think we need to change that narrative so that more people want to become teachers and that we're providing, you know, working conditions and support so Mm -hmm. that people want to stay in these professions. So one of the things that I've been talking with a number of my colleagues about is that we need to change this narrative uh, um, for uh, from the research per- researcher perspective, and think about what are the things that we can do to help retain teachers, and not just simply to keep them from leaving. Yeah. Right. It sounds like that should be like the same thing, but it, it in a way it's not because one you're just thinking about what can we do to to keep people from leaving, right? The minimum that you can do instead of hmm. what are the conditions and supports that we can provide teachers so that they want to to stay where they are. They love teaching. So, you know, mm. what can we do to help them stay where they are? Yeah, I was just having a conversation with a colleague about that same like phrasing uh, last week. And we were phrasing it sort of how do we build capacity, you know, within the teachers within our district versus, you know, why are they leaving? Like, what can we do to get them to stay? And we were looking at it, you know, how how can we build their capacity so that they're they want to stay so that they can be the best teacher that they want to be. Like they got in this profession to be a teacher. So what can we do to make them happy and to build them so they're stronger and they're, you know, feeling rewarded from this, this profession and, you know, they can go home and be proud of, of the work that they've done. So I appreciate the way that you phrased that there too. As you've looked at many different, uh, you know, districts across the country, you've looked at many different solutions and I'm not going to have you name, I mean, I'm not trying to get you to name someone but what's an approach by a local district where you're just like maybe shaking your head a bit and like, why are they doing that? You know, what what are they doing? Like, that's not going to work. Is there something that comes to mind as you think about that? I won't name a particular district, but I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll name a particular state. So um, like, say, in Arizona, where, you know, they have essentially eliminate 
all requirements to to be a teacher. Oh wow, um, that I seems did see to, that. Yeah. you know that seems to be problematic. Um, teaching is a challenging, challenging job, and you have to have content knowledge mm-hmm. in order to uh, to be a good teacher, right? Like say for for a math teacher, you you can't teach trigonometry or calculus unless you know trigonometry and calculus. <laughs> you can't teach physics unless you know physics. Right. So it can't just be like anybody, mm-hmm. you know, can be a, gra- a high school graduate can become a teacher. They need the training, not only in the pedagogy, but yeah. also, you know, in the content. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes, there there are questions and, 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 and policy solutions and nuances in terms of, hey, um, where is that line of, you know, how much training do, do they have? Right. In order to become, you know, uh, an effective teacher. Yeah. Right. Because we do have evidence that, um, you know, having a master's degree, for instance, doesn't necessarily mean that you will become a better teacher. So there, there, there is mm-hmm. some flexibility here in terms of how much education you need, how much pedagogy you need, mm-hmm. how much, you know, hands on practice and how much content you need. But at the end of the day, you still need a substantial amount of training and, and, and content in order to do a good job of being a teacher and to say that hey anybody can come into this profession and Mm. teach is i think the wrong way to go about it Um, not only that they're not going to be an effective teacher but it also sends a really really bad message about what it means to be a teacher in this country Mm -hmm. it said anybody can do this Mm -hmm. and and i can tell you as someone who's a former teacher and who's someone who studies teacher that is not the case that is a great great point and I'm glad I'm glad you had a chance to bring that up. I'm glad I asked you that question. Tuan, this has been such a great conversation. I'm I'm really glad that you were willing to come on here and get into some of these issues in your article. I'm also going to link the article. Is there a national teacher shortage? I'm going to link it in the show notes. So listeners, if you found this conversation interesting, you're going to want to go and actually read through the article and see some of the things that we've talked about. And you can see, you know, some more of Tuan's work and so forth. Tuan, but we're going to wrap up this conversation. It is time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? I would like to say that this issue of teacher vacancy and underqualification, teacher shortage, if you will, right, is a particularly challenging uh, um, set of issues for us to think about. We've touched on a number of different issues today, but there are other issues that we didn't even get into that makes this Mm -hmm. challenge even more complicated. Say, for instance, thinking about how the the teacher shortage really varies by, say, urbanicity that, you know, like some rural areas, some rural districts and schools can really have a a really hard time attracting uh, teachers to uh, their locale Um, about how um, Liz, uh, Liz Bettini has a, re- a work on this recently about the difficulty of novice teachers of color have mm. and how the kind of supports that we have to think about uh, so that we can help those specific folks. Because we know that novice teachers, you know, they have a higher probability of leaving the professions. We know teachers of color, some teachers of color have a high propensity of leaving the professions. So for novice teachers of color, we have to put in more support for them because they are. Uh, sort of at more risk, a higher risk of leaving the professions, right? So uh, there are so many different issues here that that sort of, you know, make this problem very, very challenging to study. Um, 
And so when we think about solutions to any and all of these problems, we have to be very specific. We have to yeah. be willing to be more nuanced yeah. and, and not try to think of, a, a, you know, just one tool that's going to try to mm -hmm. fix all of these problems at once. That's a that's an excellent final word. Thanks for closing us with that. Before we end, who do you want to give a shout out to? There, there are so many people <laughs> that I uh, I want to give a shout out to. Um, so someone that I collaborate with a lot is, is, is Chris Redding at University of Florida. There is Matt Kraft. There is Elizabeth Bertini, Ali Gilmore, um, Dan Goldhaber, uh, Paul Bruno. There are just so many great scholars in this mm. space. I, I'm going to have to send you like an, yeah. an email to you know really uh, uh, show all, all the th these great scholars who are mm. who are uh, you know making an impact on in, in this area. Yeah. And you're one of them. So thanks for the work that you're doing. Thanks for bringing your experience in the classroom and your perspective and your willingness to sort of look across, you know, many different lenses or look through many different lenses to try to understand the picture of of this really complex uh, problem that we're facing. And, and your work is helping people like myself and across the country understand it better. So thank you. Uh, for that, um, the work that you're doing and the work that you're going to continue to do. And thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. Listeners, thank you for joining us on the Diving Deep EDU podcast. If you liked this episode, subscribe, rate, review, and share it out. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.